one. Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, I am so pleased to have one of our leaders, young leaders from the uh, City Council of Philadelphia. He's the CFO, Mr. Matthew Stitt. Did I say that correctly, Matthew? Yes, you did. Excellent. I want to make sure I get that right. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So um, let's get started. If you can, can you share with our audience a little bit about your background education? Absolutely. Um, so I was born and raised in Philadelphia, uh, the Germantown, Mount Airy section of Philadelphia in a very unique situation. Actually, my mother, um, you know, had me when she was still in high school. So we floated around a little bit uh, growing up. I actually never met my biological father, um, but I did have a great a support system of uncles. Uh, actually, have um, my mom was the youngest of six, so um, it was very interesting times. Um, that being said, growing up, I, I played a lot of sports um, outside of school. I was a three-sport athlete, uh, football, basketball, baseball. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to Germantown Friends School as a community scholar, uh, where I pursued baseball and basketball there as well. One one I have for college, um, just about 15 minutes outside of Philadelphia, played basketball there as well. Uh, graduated with a degree in anthropology and actually wrote my thesis on stop and frisk, of all things, um, and, and, and why it didn't really work. Uh, at least statistically, it wasn't working. And then, um, I, I had, then I went on to uh, University of Pennsylvania, uh, received my master's in public administration uh, and certificate in public finance in 2012. And this is about the same time that I started as a financial analyst in City Council of Philadelphia, which is the same year that Council President Daryl Clark was, was first sworn in as the Council President. Um, fast forward four years from 2012 to 2016, um, you know, I was promoted to Assistant CFO, Deputy CFO, and became the CFO in 2016 um, as Mayor Kenny took over as new mayor of, of, of Philadelphia, um, which is very interesting. Uh, my first year as CFO was the soda tax year. Um, very, very tough year to get through. But um, after, after that, I actually, you know, it's been five budgets since then, uh, since 2016. Uh, this year, obviously, one of the toughest we had to get through, but we were able to pass um, a balanced budget on time, um, even in the COVID-19 uh, conditions. Uh, How do you do that? Seriously? Yeah, it was, um, it was difficult. Uh, transitioning, you know, to work from home in itself is difficult. And then transitioning a department to work from home, um, the city, you know, had to do a lot very quickly to, to, to keep operating. Um, in my shop, we had to not only transition to work from home, we had to figure out we had to completely redesign the budget hearing process. Uh, you know, budget hearings are usually in council chambers and uh, you'll have multiple witnesses from you know, the city administration testifying to their budgets, trying to justify their proposal. Um, and you also have members of the public in the audience. Um, you, know, you could have upwards of you know, a couple hundred people in chambers at any given time. We wanted to recreate a process. Well, A, we needed to pass a budget on time. We still had a mandate. Uh, we do not, as the city, have the ability to uh, push back our fiscal year. So, you know, under those circumstances, if we don't pass a budget by July 1, which we did, um, city spending would have come to a halt. 
and that that's not good and when you're already you know in, in a downturn um, so we were able we had to completely redesign the process to make it virtual uh, unbelievable amount of details that go into running virtual hearings behind the scenes a huge shout out to our tech support team they, they work tirelessly um, around the clock uh, to make sure that these hearings could be accessible to the public uh, the government can continue to do its business, continue to operate, and we were actually very proudly still able to have three public comment sessions, uh, public testimony sessions from the public, um, where one of them came after the Fund the Police campaign. Thousands of people signed up for one session. We had to, uh, in order to try to maximize participation and be as fair as possible, we ended up having to do a lottery to random, randomly select 30 people, we took the first 16 and randomly selected 30 out of the remainder of the group. But we also allowed for all written testimonies to be emailed in, they will all be part of the permanent record. And I'm happy to say that we received over a thousand written testimonies that was part of our, our, our public record. And you know, it's, it's the coordination, the communication, the collaboration, I call them the three C's, um, that really go into uh, any type of change management effort. And that's exactly what this was. Um, we had to change the way we worked. We had to work from home. We had to redesign a process. At the same time, our normal work duties did not change. We still had to analyze the budget. It was a 700. It started off as our budget went from the best budget in five-year plan, maybe in the city's history. We had over, probably over $100 million in the rainy day fund. Uh, our cash balance was in, in high hundreds of millions of dollars to... COVID-19 then showing up in the US, us shutting down, creating a $650 million budget gap out of a $5 billion general fund budget within like a month and a half. And this was when we had to redesign the process. As we're going through the hearings, this is where it gets really interesting. As we're going through the hearings, um, or right before we started the hearings, in May, on May 1st, the mayor actually redid his proposal because the economy got even worse. So the economy dipped by another $100 million. Uh, at least our budget gap grew by another $100 million, which just made it, made it more difficult. I mean, you're, you're dealing with a budget already with proposed cuts. Um, cuts are painful. But we were able to fully have a budget hearing season. And you know the council members um, did some good things. They were able to uh, uh, reduce police budget by approximately $30 million. Um, they were also able to restore lots of things into the budget, even in a cut year. Uh, they put more money towards housing. Uh, they put more money back in the arts and cultures program, including uh, supporting a couple of museums. Um, programs like City Year, uh, workforce development. Uh, so they, they were able to, even through a very tough budget year, um, able to invest in some critically needed areas, not only to help stabilize Philadelphia, but really position Philadelphia for recovery. And I mean, seriously, I mean, how did you do it? <laughs> I mean, cause I mean, cause you know, commerce is stopping, which means taxes are, are not yeah. happening. Yeah. It's a very fluid situation, Darrell. I, we're not going to lie. It's fluid. Yeah. It's day to day. Um, you know, I, I constantly try to tell my colleagues and my team, like, we just have to be prepared for a constant state of change. And um, that should be our mindset right now. Right. Um, 
information is flowing at a rapid speed. Um, some of it's good, some of it isn't. Um, but we've had to verify information quicker, make decisions quicker, and it's a fluid situation. I mean, the, the COVID outbreak at down south is, is completely uh, at a peak right now. So the resurgence has kind of already occurred. Um, so not only, uh, so I, the economy is just going to take a longer hit. Um, decisions going forward are going to be just as difficult as decisions up to this date, in my opinion. And, um, you know, I really, how did we do it is a great question, <laughs> but uh, it just took a lot of effort, a lot of hard work. We really worked almost 24-7 around the clock. I can't, uh, uh, I can't uh, emphasize communication, coordination, and collaboration enough. Um, we tried to over-communicate every step in the process. Let me give one example. When we're in city council chambers during budget hearings, my team and I are able to answer questions in chambers because all 17 council members are right there and their chief of staffs, their legislative aides. They will come up to us all during the hearing and ask questions. We lose that when we're working virtually. So we had to have multiple phones, multiple uh, uh, computers going, and just had to really set up a, 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 a channel of communication that was really unique. By the and way, yes. with one of my clients, I'll talk to you about that later. We solved that problem. Hmm. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, it, it, was a, uh, it was a lot of adapting through the process, too. So we started the process in the first hearings. Uh, we, we kept on making improvements, not only on the technology side, uh, make sure people were heard better, seen better, yeah. stuff like that, but also in our communication side. Right. So um, that was, I was very proud of. City Council for that as well. How everything, the process continued to improve, um, um, you know, and, and we got, we, we hit the finish line, at least temporarily. That's a huge thing. And speaking about that, um, in 2019 at the Chamber of Commerce of Greater Philadelphia Mayor's Luncheon, uh, Mayor Kinney talked about poverty in Philadelphia and his plans to address that. Naturally, you know, COVID is, is, is hitting our, our community extremely hard. What, what are the key things that you think the city council is doing to address poverty, especially now with this COVID-19 situation, which just puts, puts as they say, uh, gas on the fire, so to speak? Yeah, so city council actually uh, released a poverty action plan um, earlier this calendar year. Uh, this is again, this is prior to kind of COVID hitting the US nationally here. And it was a pretty comprehensive report um, that really brought together um, a lot of, uh, almost, I think almost 100 stakeholders. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they had, they set up a special committee, they set up subcommittees, and they really, and these stakeholders were people in the field, uh, you know, running the programs, uh, running workforce development programs, you know. And, and in really coming, what, does the, what can this plan look like? What does a utopian plan look like? And what does a feasible plan look like? Um, that report, like I said, was released earlier this calendar year. Unfortunately, due to COVID, uh, a lot of attention shifted. Now, so to speak, um, there has been a heavy investment uh, in this budget in rental assistance. Um, and, and, and frankly, that, that, that there may be continued uh, dollars towards that, especially we, we have to see 
what comes um, from the state and federal government in terms of uh, additional relief funding, which we're, you know, optimistic, <laughs> cautiously optimistic that, that hopefully we get. Um, we did not pass the budget based on that optimism, by the way. We passed the budget okay. assuming we get no extra revenue from anywhere else. But um, some of the CARES Act money we received thus far, we've been able to put towards housing, including rental assistance, um, stabilizing rent. And because um, we feel like evictions is a, is a huge concern um, in the city of Philadelphia, especially when a pandemic forces businesses to shut down. Um, so the, the poverty action plan, however, had, you know, a lot of categories, um, not, you know, ranging from benefits access, you know, signing people up for the earned income tax credit and, and really using those campaigns to sign them up for other benefits that they may be eligible for money that, so that they're quote unquote leaving on the table. Um, to, to workforce development programs. Uh, you need it all. I mean, you, you need to help people now we're, we're in their current situation, but you also need to help prepare them to get them out of their current situation, um, which starts with education. Then it starts with the training and it starts with the job. You need the pipeline. Uh, so I, I think the action plan, you need a stable house. You, you know, rent was part of it. You know, housing was part of it. Affordable housing, mixed income communities. These are these are all things that are kind of part of this plan amongst, amongst a lot of others. But the, the, short, the long story short, there, there was originally $25 million that was set aside in the budget to, to originally fund the plan on top of the other anti-poverty efforts that uh, the city administration does from year to year. Like for instance, we have a housing trust fund from year to year and that, that's really for um, affordable housing, uh, not only uh, rehabs, preservation, but production as well. Um, you know, we have an office of homeless services. We have, we spend a lot of money on social services, um, you know, being a city with a high poverty rate. Um, but this specific plan was trying to take a little bit different approach, a little bit more of a coordinated approach, especially with outside stakeholders and kind of trying to figure out where are these dollars going to stretch the furthest in terms of reach. Um, so like I said, there was $25 million originally set aside in the budget. This was prior to COVID. Fortunately, due to COVID, everything had to be put on back on the table. Um, however, there has been a commitment by city council to do something with anti-poverty. I do not know the dollar amount at this point. There was a sizable budget amendment made uh, early in the process that set aside 25 million called the New Normal Budget Initiative by city council. Um, part of those dollars um, are definitely going towards anti-poverty efforts. I mean, the, the whole point of those dollars is, you know, it's, it's to start the new normal, but it's supposed to address health disparities, social disparities, um, um, and, and some housing as well. So it's, you know, there is some, there's, there, council is working hard uh, and they're, they're currently, uh, you know, really deliberating um, how they're going to spend those dollars in terms of furthering anti-poverty efforts. And I, and I know the main goal really is to try to leverage those dollars to, to get philanthropic and private uh, funds to leverage it, not just match it, to leverage it. So, um, well, more to come, more to come more there, to come. for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Matthew Stitt, who is the CFO of the City Council for the Great City of Philadelphia. And we are talking about how do we uplift a people here in the city of, of Philadelphia and talking about poverty. Uh, Matt, recently I, I had a gentleman uh, from Baker Industries uh, on my show. I don't know if you're familiar with Baker Industries. Um, basically, it's, it's a great nonprofit organization in North Philadelphia. 
Um, what they do is that they create a, a workforce opportunity for people either who have been uh, formerly on drugs, uh, have, have been in jail, um, they're homeless, or they're physically, mentally uh, challenged. Those are the four groups. And what they do is that they uh, select folks, bring them in, train them, and give them a, a, a job that has a living wage, which, which is very nice. I, I, I wanted to share that uh, because I'm wondering, how is the city council looking to partner with the local corporations so that everybody can chip in to help address this issue of, of poverty? Yeah, I think the whole goal is to partner with everyone. <laughs> the partner, uh, you know, obviously corporations have, well, they typically have more cash flow and to, to help with these things. And, and we know that scale is important when you're addressing poverty, especially if poverty at this, at this uh, level, uh, you know, 25% is a, is a large number for a city of 1.5 million people. So um, certainly, I, I think that the city is always going to look for, for uh, not only uh, private industry and philanthropic support uh, there. Um, the city also invests, uh, I'll give you one example of a program that the city has continued to invest in, you know, over the past few years. It's called the Land Care Program, uh, run by uh, Philadelphia Horticulture Society, and it really focuses on reentry. Um, it, it, it gives jobs to returning citizens. Um, it teaches them how to lawn care services, and it really the goal is to um, teach them entrepreneurial skills as well, so they can have their own own business and and again pay them a living wage. So, um, you know, ready, willing, and able. Another, it's a it, it's it's a uh, it's a street cleaning program, but they're nonprofit again. It's reentry, uh, pays a decent wage, and uh, so there there are like smaller programs that the city has continued to invest in and has expanded on them, you know, slowly, probably not as quickly as, you know, all of us would like to see. Um, but I do think that uh, this moment's a little bit different. Um, I do think that uh, city council, you know, they, they, and the mayor, city council, the mayor, you know, chamber of commerce, a lot of, of stakeholders were, were, were there during the rollout of this uh, anti-poverty action plan. Um, they, uh, I think they're heavily committed uh, to this. And, um, you know, I think you're going to see a different type of energy uh, come out of anti-poverty, especially given the time, given the moment. New normal. Uh, the new normal is not just a slogan anymore. Um, the, no the, the normal that's going to come out of COVID, it's likely going to be different than the normal before COVID in some way. And frankly, oh, it I probably it needs to be. In a huge way, <laughs> you know, I, I'm um, I'm a member of the Chamber of Commerce of the Greater Philadelphia, and uh, recently recently joined, and and I attended uh, uh, in February. I, I attended a, a, a meeting, and then of course after COVID hit, they went virtual. One of the first meetings that they had uh, was a virtual conference to deal with you know the transition from working in an office and, and working from home what was interesting is that uh, i noticed that a lot of law firms and accounting firms um their folks uh worked at the office they never took work home because they worked late they didn't have laptops and it was a whole different dynamic and so recently I've, I've been reading articles about folks are starting to wonder do we really need the office space then of course if if folks don't renew their office space then that office space would be could be used for housing uh, and, and and other things. Um, 
how does the city council grapple with these really emerging issues just like boom 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 i mean the world has changed so much and is this something that the city council is currently because my daughter lives in uh in, in philadelphia and I could go I could go visit her once a week and, and something would have changed because so much building is going on. Um, do, do, you, do you find that maybe the building that was going on was good for the time, but now with the transition that maybe we might be overbuilt? That's a really good question. Or I think uh, it's one of those unknowns. Um, you know, what is uh, office space going to look like? What is work? Uh, in the office going to look like, especially with social distancing requirements. Um, think about office towers too. Think about, uh, you know, usually in big office towers, I used, one of my first jobs out of, out of school was Independence Blue Cross. It's a, um, you know, I think a 50 something story building, you know, thousands and thousands of employees. Um, when I used to go in in the morning, it would take me almost 15 minutes to, to get on an elevator, just the lines. <laughs> and and you're, you're packed. And these elevators, these are state-of-the-art, fast elevators, right? Um, that still occurs in Center City, Philadelphia. You build, you build these big office towers. The goal is to maximize space. That's the whole goal. You cram people in, you know, more people, more money. I mean, that's the way people see right. it. So, right. uh, you know, you want to really maximize your square footage. That was the economic philosophy that went into building these towers in these office spaces. I don't think they were built, you know, considering social distancing as a measure at the time, right? right? So, and then again, like, not only when you get on the floor, you can have less people there, right? How are you going to get everybody on the elevator? They, you got to be face, I don't, I don't know how that's going to work yet. Uh, so there are a lot of unknowns here. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's, it's testing. Again, it, sometimes it comes back to testing, tracing, and vaccine, right? Be able to test people, you know, they're negative, you can cram you're probably more comfortable cramming them on an elevator, right? But we're not there yet as a nation. So I think um, until that happens, I don't have a good answer for that. I think it's it's kind of a little bit up in the air. And I think um, the economy itself um, is going to be a little bit fluid, for lack of a better word, in terms of what is going to be the new fundamental um, economic principles that we all abide by, you know, in this new normal. Right. Uh, to to be profitable and you know to to really uh, to really maximize you know our utility. And so, and, and another thing that's hitting the Philadelphia economy. I mean, Philadelphia is a big sports town. Yeah. I mean, huge sports town, and uh, no baseball, uh, no basketball. Uh, I mean, I I hate to say this, but you know, I'm a huge football fan, but could be no football. But right. what, what really concerns me is not, not, not the athletes, not being able to play the games, but the people who sell the hot dogs, the people who do the parking. This is, I mean, this is their livelihood. It is. So, yeah, it's a, it's a triple hit. Um, you know, every time you don't have a game, uh, right, you don't, um, there, there's no food stands open, uh, no parking attendants, uh, no security guards might be security guards now, but, you know, right, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's, um, yeah, there's a lot of staff who do not get paid. Uh, the organization doesn't get paid. The city doesn't get paid. Lots, lots less tax revenue for the city of Philadelphia. We, I'll tell you the number of taxes that get hit for every game we don't have. Amusement tax, 
sales tax, wage tax. That's a big one, by the way. <laughs> People coming in from out of town have to pay the wage tax um, mm-hmm. when they play a game. Yeah. I didn't know about that. I'll double check that. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <used> to use <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot of tax hits that you take. And, um, you know, and, and obviously the spinoff, you know, the people who attend the game, you know, you could have 50, 60, 70,000 people. What are they going to do after the game? They go to center city bars. They go to center city restaurants. They spend money. They spend a lot of money. And so all of that, 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 um, the trickle, the trickle effect, the ripoff, whatever you want to call it, the economic multiplier stops when you, when you, when you, when you don't have games. And this is the same impact of just not having uh, uh, offices open as well. I mean, uh, commuters who commute the work right. would also, you know, not only are they paying non-resident wage tax, they're coffee, also... Coffee, newspapers, exactly. shopping. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get a gift from my wife. Oh, I'll, I'll go to the jewelry district. Yeah, that's... It all dries up. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a, like I said, it's a tough situation in... Um, you know, I, I, I believe that, uh, and, and you're really seeing how, how taxes, it's really a linkage between taxes, really a linkage between revenues. And, you know, once there's a break in the linkage because of one part of our economy has to come to a halt, we're really seeing, we can now follow the linkage. It's like, wow, now that, that's getting hit. This base is getting hit. Now this base is getting hit. And you really see the trickle effect. Mm. And um, it, can, it can make it difficult. It can make it very difficult to manage. You know, uh, believe it or not, we're running out of time. But on the last segment that we have here, we have uh, uh, four minutes. I want to talk about education and poverty. And I, you had mentioned this earlier in regards to that's one of the, the key pillars to overcome poverty is education. Has there been any discussion about Philadelphia has great schools, lots of them, has there been any discussion about them providing a free education to people under a particular income level? As in uh, for like a community college or community college or, you know, I mean, because when you really think about it, I teach at Seton Hall university yep. as a, as an adjunct, believe me, they don't pay you any money. You do it for the love <laughs> of it, but to add another two or three people to my classroom, it's not a big deal, you know? But to that person getting the education, it, be, it, it, it can become a game changer for them. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, going into this budget season again, it bring up a good point. Uh, Mayor Kenny actually, you know, really wanted to work towards um, free uh, tuition for community college. Um, and in and, and this budget, uh, he actually started a scholarship. The council passed it. Um, it's called the Octavius Cato, Cato Scholarship. And it's, a, it's kind of like a last dollar scholarship for, for students mm-hmm. for community college, which is kind of just a step in that direction. Um, education has been a huge focus for not only the mayors, but the city council, um, or at least during my tenure at city mm-hmm. council. Um, almost every difficult tax vote has been for education funding. Uh, you know, when, when Pennsylvania cut city of Philadelphia public school funding by $300 million, um, that's an annual hit of $300 million, which the city had to continually make up, you know, where they were, they were, they were essentially passing taxes to plug a hole, not to invest. Um, finally got to the point where we're investing a little bit, but then, you know, now it's COVID. So, right, right. Um, you know, it's, it's, 
this, yes, I think that's a goal that a lot of people have, uh, more access, more opportunity. And we all know that uh, money is a big barrier and burden. Um, and that, those are, it's definitely a focus uh, for the city. Um, is how do we provide not only better education opportunities, you know, at all levels, but, um, you know, how do we also make sure that there's a job at the, <laughs> when they're done their education or their training, now, it might not be traditional sure. college or school. It could be tech school, could be the trades. Um, there's gotta be a job at the end of the, end of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's not, you know, I, I think the morale of people is huge, right? If, if, if Sometimes it takes a lot for, the, for people to want to get in a program, go through the program. Sometimes they're unpaid and they're trying to work on getting more paid training programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and think about all the other things like that prevents people from doing these programs. So babysitting, uh, maybe you can't pay for a babysitter, right? It's hard to go to right. school. So trying to think of ways to, what are those barriers right. that stop people from either attending school, education or training program, close those barriers, and, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, going forward, that's still going to be a huge focus, um, you know, not only the public school system, but community college and upwards and, and, you know, really advocating for more education, um, across the spectrum. Absolutely. Well, Matt, believe it or not, we are out of time. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Matt Stitt. He is the CFO of the city councils for the city of Philadelphia. Matt, thank you for coming on the program. And we're going to have you back because we have a lot many more topics to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, you having me. This is a great interview and I welcome the opportunity to come back on. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up this week on Leadership with Darrell W. Gunter on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Have a great weekend, but remember, leadership begins with you. WSOU 89.5 FM.